everyone. Welcome to Caffeinated Humor. You know, can you remember the first, I won't say love. Well, let's go ahead and use love. Do you remember the first girl you ever fell in love with? And the reason that I was hesitant to use the word love is that a lot of folks, it, at that age, what the hell do you know? You know, you love your cat. But love is, is it's almost too complex a con, uh, concept for little kids. But it is the strongest emotion they've ever had. I remember my first, back then, see, I went to Catholic school. So every little girl was in this adorable little costume with patent leather shoes. I mean, it was like, it was like pre-porn films before you even knew what those were. And at one time or another, I think I was in love with every one of them. There were a few amazing standouts that ama- that continue to be stunning women to this day. And it's like 40 years later. But I think that when it comes to back in those days, it was so easy to fall in love with something, to like something. You didn't have to have an opinion on it. You just had to like it. And there was somebody that didn't like it. They're like, I don't like that. And that was it. They didn't trash you on Facebook or try to, you know, get you fired or, you know, try and tell your your girlfriend or your fiance that, you know, she could do better or tell you that, you know, she we just don't see her with you, you know, that type of thing. You know, it was just an innocent time. Everything back in those days, everything was just black and white. The biggest authority in the universe was your parents. You went to school. You hated the nuns. Hate nuns to this day. It's weird how some things never change. But I think that when it comes down to that innocence of youth, that's one of the first things you lose, is that that ability to love something with no agenda. An agenda almost sounds evil. I don't mean that you have like a sinister thing. I'm just saying, you know, it's it's something that is... It has a purity to it. There is no extra thought. There's no content to it. It's a yes or a no. Sugar or plain. Chocolate or vanilla. You know, it's that easy. Then you get older, and much like a 31 flavors, you start to notice the other flavors. And you can't help but just ask, can I have a sample of this? Can I have a sample of this? Until before you know it, there's 31 flavors, and you hate all 30, but you love this one. And anybody who doesn't love that one obviously has an issue. And then you begin comparing them to Hitler, and they, they're obviously a bad person, and you got to block them on Facebook. That seems to be the kind of the stomping your feet, taking your ball, and going home is the, the blocking someone on Facebook. It is funny. Some people use it like a weapon. I don't know if you've noticed I'm a little obnoxious, but I have a relative who has personally blocked me on Facebook and sent me friend requests a few weeks later, three separate times. Even I think that's a little excessive. But I get it. I mean, given enough time, I rub everybody the wrong way. Sometimes it's heavily intentional and sometimes it's just not. Either way, you get to the same conclusion. I almost wish that somebody had invented a a way to block outside of Facebook. Wouldn't that be nice? 
You got a politician you don't like, you can just block them. Doesn't matter what they say, doesn't matter what they write, no matter what somebody writes about them online, you don't see it. And friends will tell you, oh, so-and-so did this. You'd be, be like, meh, I don't see it. You know, that would truly take the whole not my president concept to a new level. It could be not my president, not my mayor, not my congressman, not my senator, not my Supreme Court justice, not my anything, not my dog catcher. You wouldn't have to pay attention to anything you didn't want to. Then again, you could just put on some sensory headphones, live in a, in a VR world, and you would never have to see anything unpleasant again. But that's not how life is. It's not a spectator sport. It's meant to be played. So it's time to get off the bench, brush your hands against your thighs, and get on the field. And that's all, all that together is what leads us to today's episode, Off to See the Wizard, on today's Caffeinated Humor. You know, Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz was the first woman slash girl I ever loved. And we're talking about that clean and pure preteen, I love my dog type love. Puberty ruins that love for a lot of people, myself included. It kind of becomes this freaky thing that you can only tell people about at all, you know, in a whisper. But we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about Dorothy and Toto. Can't forget him. Girls do love their pets. Now, The Wizard of Oz is the first movie, other than cartoons and I Love Lucy, that I can ever remember seeing. It was pure. It was innocent. You know, back before you even understood what those words meant. And Technicolor is amazing to a five-year-old. It's kind of like, it's, it's more color than there is in the real world. Now, Kansas looks like a horrible place. There are mean old ladies there that threaten to take away your dog, which to a five-year-old, that makes her a villain at a level like no other. Usually seen tying women to railroad tracks type, type level, which is also something I saw at five. And if you're not aware of what Deadly Do-Right is, it was a horribly poorly made uh, cartoon way back in the day. I would say Google it, but I'm iffy as to whether or not you're going to find anything. To millennials that are reading this, Kansas is oppressive. And by the time the twister hits, we've met the whole cast except for the munchkins, and we have established all the major themes of the movie. That's a simplicity that no other film I've ever seen establishes that early. But since one of my things about loving a film is that I get obsessive and I start researching them, and this is one of my favorite all-time, like it's in the top five favorite films, here are some really weird facts a little bit of research has discovered about the film. Number one, the Nazi connection. Some of the Munchkins were part of a German troop, and they defected during the filming. Number two, there were no suicides on the on set. There's an old urban legend that said that one of the Munchkins hung himself in the background, and he can be seen in the film. No, total lie. Number three, it's a dog's life. All of the actors got $50 a week during filming, unless they were a star, but Toto, the dog got $125 a week. That was huge back in the day. 
Number four, Wizard of Oz was a flop. Didn't even make back the money it cost to make the film until they started showing it every year on TV. Number five, the nation was colorblind. Technicolor, for the most part, was completely wasted on a nation that had very few color TVs when they first started showing it on TV. You see it in a theater, man, you got a shot at seeing it in color, but not all of them were color. Oz is not in black and white. The beginning and the end of the film were not shot in black and white. They were shot in sepia. Sepia? Sepia. Which gives it a smooth, classic look, much better than black and white. Number seven, the creator's coat. Now, this one is freaky. I actually got this from two different sources. They couldn't find a a coat for the con man slash Wizard of Oz to wear in Kansas. So they went to a thrift store. The actor who played the Wizard of Oz picked out a coat that he liked. They found a label inside that said Frank L. Baum. It had been given to the uh, thrift store when Baum died. For those that don't know, Frank L. Baum wrote the Wizard of Oz. It was from his estate. So the Wizard of Oz wore the coat of the man that wrote the book. That's got to be creepy. Number eight, or number eight, why Frank Morgan keeps showing up. Now, the actor that played the con man slash wizard and front gate guard at the Emerald City was they really wanted W.C. Fields. So they added a bunch of parts to be played by Fields because he wanted that. But then he turned it down and they just kept him in. So Frank Morgan played all these different parts. He was the con man in Kansas. He was the wizard. He was a cab driver in the Emerald City. He was an Emerald City guard and the Emerald City gatekeeper. Number nine, Dorothy wore silver slippers. In the book, Dorothy's slippers were silver and in the original script, but the producers thought red would look a lot better for Technicolor. Number 10, the Wicked Witch was too wicked. Kids in the test audience found her way too scary, so they cut back a bunch of her scenes. Now, this is one of those films that you can study for years. You're always going to find something new. I loved it because it was long. It was complex. Nobody had to explain it to a kid. You just got it. Plus, Dorothy was beautiful. Really brightened up the screen. I think we could all do with a little Technicolor in our lives. Just keep it out of my coffee.